you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. When most of us hear the word vampire, the image that first comes to mind is probably a tall, dark, and extremely handsome figure with pale skin. Not to mention heaps of money, a mysterious castle or mansion, and fancy red sports cars. According to Historic Mysteries, the roots of pop culture's most popular monster can be traced back to Eastern European folklore, though similar creatures go back thousands of years in some civilizations. The vampires known as Strigoi in Moldavia, Wallachia, and Transylvania, now Romania, would feed on humans. First, their own family members, and then anyone else who happened to cross their path. In the West, the modern version of the vampire that most of us know so well became popular in the 1800s with Bram Stoker's Dracula. Today's films and novels have continued to adopt the charming and attractive, yet haunted and brooding vampire persona. In today's episode, we'll discuss a story featuring a creature of the undead much more closely related to Max Schreck's Count Orlock in the 1922 silent film Nosferatu than, say, Lestat or a certain sparkling teenager. The legend of the Kroglin Grange vampire first appeared in the 1890s, written by English author Augustus Hare. Hare claimed that he was sharing a, quote, really extraordinary story from the family of his good friend, Captain Fisher. The tale takes place in Cumberland, England, a historic county just south of the Scottish border. The town of Croglin in Cumberland County is a quaint, picturesque village with a small post office and a single pub. When it was discovered that no place called Croglin Grange actually existed in Cumberland, people began to question the validity of Hare's tale. Because Penny Dreadful pamphlets, works of fiction that were usually sensational and gothic in style were popular works of fiction at the time even more critics began to emerge. But many people believe there may have been some truth to this horrifying tale after all. Is Croglin Grange based on a real location? Did the undead really attack the tenants living there? Stay with me as we unpack the legend of the Croglin Grange vampire. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. joining us everyone before we start this week's episode a quick reminder that if you enjoy the show it would be great if you could head over to apple music hit the subscribe button and drop a review it really helps out the show if you've got a great creepy story to tell send us an email at straightupenigmas at gmail.com or message us on instagram at straightupenigmas or twitter at straightenigmas we'd love to hear it 
While a lot goes into the production of this podcast, nothing would be possible without all of the articles I use in my research. Source information for those articles can be found in the show notes and on our website at straightupenigmas.home.blog. Straight Up Enigmas is excited to be part of the Straight Up Strange Productions Network. The network has a great lineup of creepy shows that explore myths and legends, true crime, unsolved history, dreams, and strange science. You can find our spooky family online at straightupstrange.com, Twitter at Strange Podcasts, and Instagram at Strange Pods. Be sure to follow the Straight Up Strange Network on social media to receive important updates and insider news. Thanks for listening, everyone, and without further ado, let's get back to the show. The story of the Croglin Grange vampire, as told by Augustus Hare, reads something like this. Croglin Grange in Cumberland, England, had been owned by a family named Fisher for over a hundred years, but in the last century, they decided to move out and rent the house to the Cranswell siblings, two brothers, Edward and Michael, and their sister, Amelia. The trio settled in and even made friends in their new neighborhood. Winter came and went without incident, and the following summer was a muggy one. On one hot night, the three took the opportunity to watch the full moon out on the veranda before finally turning in. The sister, Amelia, found the night still too warm for sleep. She lay on her bed on top of the covers and gazed out her bedroom window at the lawn covered with silver moonlight. A church, complete with its own graveyard, stood beyond a line of trees. That's when her eyes caught a glimpse of something hidden in the twilight. Two flickering lights seemed to be moving among the copse of trees visible from her window. At first they seemed nothing more than fireflies to the young woman, but as she continued to stare at them, the more nervous she began to feel. Suddenly, both lights started to emerge from the tree line and into view. It looked as though the lights were a small part of a darker shadow, a humanoid form. Amelia was filled with horror as she realized that something was approaching the house, growing larger the closer it came. She tried to cry out, but her throat felt paralyzed. Then, for no reason that the young woman could tell, the shadow turned away. As soon as the terrifying figure was out of sight, Amelia jumped from her bed and raced to the door, but the antique latch jammed, trapping her in the room. As she fumbled at the lock, Amelia heard an awful scratching sound at the window. Despite her growing terror, she dared to look back. Standing outside the window, almost filling it, was a hideous, withered face with fierce, glaring eyes. With long, claw-like nails, the creature began pecking at the sash. Amelia realized with horror that it was scraping out the lead, holding the window panes in place. Her blood ran cold when a single diamond-shaped pane fell out, and a pale, bony finger flicked open the catch on the window. Unable to move or even raise an alarm, the thing moved quickly and was beside her in moments, sinking its teeth into her exposed neck. The sting of the bite released her voice, and she finally was able to scream. Her shrieking alerted both of her brothers, who came to investigate. 
After breaking down her door, the monster fled back the way it came. Amelia's brother took off after it, but he was no match for the giant loping strides of the creature, who quickly disappeared beyond the wall of the graveyard. Amelia was bleeding heavily, but assumed her attacker was an escaped convict from a lunatic asylum. She recovered from her wounds, but needed time to recuperate. The three of them went to Switzerland so that she could heal completely. While there, Amelia dreamed of returning to Kroglin. Despite everything that had taken place, she and her brother still loved the area and missed their friends. The decision was Amelia's, and she made up her mind to go back, insisting that the lunatic was not likely to return. When the siblings returned home, they spent another peaceful winter in Kroglin. It was during the following March that Amelia began to hear a dreadful scratching at her window once more. This time, she screamed as loud as she could for help before the same creature managed to gain access to her room. Both of her brothers responded quickly, and this time, they were armed. Her screams also forced the creature to flee, and it was heading back the way it had come when one brother took aim and fired. Despite being shot in the leg, the monster still made an escape by scrambling over the graveyard wall. This time, though, the brothers were able to track it. All three discovered that the creature had taken refuge inside a neglected crypt belonging to a family that had once existed in the area. When they opened the crypt the next morning under the constable's direction, they discovered several coffins. Only one of them was intact, but its lid was loose and slightly ajar. Inside was a corpse with a fresh bullet wound in one leg. The body was removed, brought outside the crypt, and set ablaze. They burned the body to ashes. After this, there were no more disturbances at Kroglin Grange. We'll be back right after this. Hello, I'm Courtney. And I'm Andreel. And we host Spellcast, a podcast dedicated to all things witchy, occult, and spiritual. Spellcast seeks to bridge the gap between the mundane and the occult by sharing knowledge and welcoming all those who are curious about the worlds of magic, philosophy, art, and higher truth. You can find us on most major platforms, and if you'd like to follow us on Facebook, you can find us at Spellcast Podcast. We have a Facebook page and also a private Facebook group for you to join. We are also on Instagram at Witchy Page, and you can find us on Twitter at Spellcast Pod. If you would like to join our online coven, you can always visit us at patreon.com forward slash spellcast. And we are now proud to be a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. If you'd like to see us and our friends that are part of that production company, you can visit us at straightupstrange.com. And remember, there's a little witch in all of us. And spirits live in the mirror. <laughs> My name is Miranda McLaughlin, and I'm the host of All Things Dreams, a podcast dedicated to dream experiences and dream interpretation. Are you curious about dreams, but don't have time for all that pesky research? Well, then you're in luck, because you can leave the research to me and just tune into All Things Dreams, where we discuss loads of different dream experiences, dream themes, and dream topics like sleep paralysis, lucid dreaming, inception dreams, and so much more. Just check us out wherever you get your podcasts. Bye.
Now that you've heard the story of the Kroglin Grange vampire, let's take a look at the facts behind the famous legend and the investigation that followed. According to Hare's account, the legend took place in Cumberland, somewhere between 1875 and 1876 at Kroglin Grange, a single-story stone building and family estate owned for centuries by the Fisher family. In 1924, Charles G. Harper decided to investigate the tale by traveling to Cumberland himself. He found no evidence of a place called Kroglin Grange, a grange meaning a country home with farm buildings attached. He did find evidence of Kroglin Low Hall and High Hall. According to Harper, in his 1907 book, Haunted Houses, Kroglin Hall is probably the house indicated, but it is at least a mile distant from the church, which has been rebuilt. The churchyard contains no tomb which by any stretch of the imagination could be identified with that described by Mr. Hare. The story was challenged by yet another researcher, F. Clive Ross, in the 1930s. Ross interviewed the locals in Cumberland and concluded that Kroglin Low Hall, which did have a chapel on its grounds, was actually Kroglin Grange. One of the locals Ross interviewed, a Mrs. Parkin, claimed to have personally known a descendant of the Fisher family, who was born in the 1860s and knew the vampire story from his grandparents. The local woman also revealed that the deed to the property stated that until 1720, Kroglin Low Hall was known as Kroglin Grange. Hare claimed that the vampire story took place at Kroglin Grange between 1875 and 1876, but if the property's name was changed to Kroglin Low Hall in 1720, Hare either made a mistake or the tale was a hoax. The legend, if at all true, should have taken place between the late 1600s and early 1700s, not after that. There's one more piece of evidence I'd like to add to the investigation. In 1929, Montague Summers republished Hare's story, along with the first chapter of Varney the Vampire. Summers pointed out that the two stories were very similar and should be dismissed as urban legends. Varney the Vampire is maybe one of the greatest examples of the penny-dreadful publications I mentioned earlier. It was originally released as a weekly serial in 1845, and the complete version was later printed in one complete volume in 1847. The first installment of the serial may sound a bit familiar to you now. Young Flora Bannerworth is lying restless in bed in the midst of a fierce storm when she hears a noise at the window. Quote, a tall figure is standing on the ledge immediately outside the long window, its fingernails upon the glass that produces the sound so like the hail, now that the hail has ceased. Intense fear paralyzed the limbs of the beautiful girl. That one shriek is all she can utter, with hand clasped, a face of marble, a heart beating so wildly in her bosom that each moment it seems as if it would break its confines. Eyes distended and fixed upon the window, she waits, froze with horror. The pattering and clattering of the nails continue. Flora, paralyzed by the gaze of the intruder, cannot resist as he enters, seizes her, forces her head back, and bites her neck. Only then can she cry out for help. 
Fortunately, her family is quick to come to her aid, and they rescue the girl from being drained completely of blood. The Fisher family did exist, and they did own a place known as Croglin Grange in Cumberland for centuries. If a vampire actually attacked Amelia Cranswell at that location in 1875, the property would have been named Croglin Low Hall, not Grange. Was Amelia, if she herself existed, bitten by a blood-sucking monster? Or, as the legend itself hints, was she assaulted by an actual human and escaped, quote, lunatic from a local asylum? Was the entire story a hoax, or simply an amusing story based on Varney the Vampire, published first in 1845? What do you think happened at Croglin Grange? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. You can also contact us through email at straightupenigmas at gmail.com or through our website, straightupenigmas.home.blog. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Music to give us a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast. This episode was written and produced by me, Jane McKell, and the theme song was created by Chuck Flyer. You can find information for the articles I used in my research in the show notes and on our website, straightupenigmas.home.blog. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next time on Straight Up Enigmas.